Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Netflix Roulette. Hello, my name is Brett Stewart. Joining me on this wonderful evening, my two equally wonderful co-hosts, David Luzader. How are you? I am doing well, Brett. Uh, yeah, how are you? You don't have like a quirky introduction that infuses this movie's qualities into your introduction? Uh, oh boy. Um, I, I really shouldn't have set that precedent for myself. I can never just now be me. <laughs> I can never just... Uh, Look, Brett. If you just give me a little bit of money, if you just invest in me, I could come up with a uh, with a wonderful opener. It's just you know, just a few thousand dollars. You'll get a a twenty seven percent return. Oh my God! It's so much better than the bank. It's twenty four percent higher than the bank. Uh, I'm. You could have also just taken the apostrophe M off of I'm and just said I for everything. That would have worked too. Uh, but joining <laughs> us as well, Nicole Davis. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I only. Got offered 0.1% interest on a savings account when I opened it. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, no, that's okay. Do you want to give us money for having this account open? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, well, clearly, what we're, it is. we're both, all three of us are losing out on excellent financial opportunities but you know what there's five of us this week losing out on excellent financial opportunities we are Woo! joined by eric long and cole uh Rolaine of the magic lantern podcast uh previously they were our wonderful guests on uh geek cinema society the show we did before this go and check the archive out they joined us for masters of the universe that was a doozy and we're back with another doozy uh cole erica thank you for joining us thanks for having us Olé, olé, guys. Olé, olé. Olé, olé, Why don't you guys give us a brief rundown of what the Magic Lantern is? Because I'm sure there's a ton of folks that listen that did not hear Geek Cinema. Because, gosh, that was probably a year or more ago. It's been a long time, too long. So give us a rundown of what your show is all about. Well, it's a show that focuses on the films we love and the things that we love about them. So that takes in a huge variety of stuff. Everything from classic cinema to milestone international titles, to absolute genre trash. If we have a deep affection for it, no matter where it comes from, eventually it's going to get discussed on the show. See, that's a good formula, because then the audience doesn't ever pick anything. Uh, no. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> uh, I, I say that, but I, I love our audience picks. I, I've suffered them. All three of us have. Oh, I, don't, I don't love them. I don't love them. I, I wouldn't do anything to erase the emoji <laughs> movie from my mind. What are you talking about? Oh, uh, yeah. The emoji is is memory <sighs> answer. Um, that was bad. That was bad. Okay, I'm just going to step away from that now. We watched The Polka King. It was it, it was it was better than the emoji movie. Uh, yes. But this week is Netflix. Unequivocally. Movie. Yeah, and that means that we all spun a Netflix roulette wheel last week to determine what we are going to watch. Netflix gods descend upon us and pre present us a movie. This week, we actually got our first Netflix original movie, The Polka King, mm -hmm. again, 
uh, from 2017. But before we delve into the Polka King and give you a brief synopsis, I do want to hand it over to Nicole. Nicole has a pick for next week for our future classics. Nicole, this is your last opportunity to pick a film that you deem as a future classic that has come out in yes. 2008 or onward, because next time you pick, it's going to be 2009 and onward. It has to be in the last 10 years. That's right. And this is the last opportunity for the show to pick a future classic for the year. Mm -hmm. So um, I did feel an extra sense of responsibility. um, And I had to do it. Every other podcast that covers movies has done it, except for the Magic Lantern. Um, (laughs) I can't wait to hear what this is. I felt I felt compelled to do it. It was the last 2008 movie on my list that I couldn't put into another category. So to next week we will be watching The Dark Knight. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> this was I was so bummed that I wasn't going to have a chance to pick another 2008 movie before the year was over cuz I wanted to pick <laughs> The Dark Knight. So this makes me happy. Right on. I'm excited yeah. to watch it. It's been a while since I've seen The Dark Knight, honestly. So looking forward to going back to it. That is our uh, 2008 future classic pick. Uh, and again, this is the last time that we are offered that year uh, as our selection. So moving forward, I I would say that our our palette is becoming more limited, but that's not true because we're going to have a whole no. new year of new movies coming up. So lots of exciting stuff to add into the future classics categories. But the Polka King is not one of those. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> Came out in 2017. Polish immigrant Jan Levan uh, loves his wife, Marla, his son, David, and Polka. He and his band uh, make a living in the mid-Atlantic states playing songs that make people happy, but they don't pay very much to hear. Jan gets the idea to recruit investors for both the band and his many associated businesses, paying high interest to the early investors and always recruiting new ones. Unfortunately for Jan, the pyramid investing is illegal and he eventually runs afoul of the law. This is a true story, more or less, uh, portrayed in the titular character, the Polka King, uh, Jan Levan, Jack Black. Uh, had anyone seen this before? Had anyone heard of this before? Definitely heard of it, hadn't seen it. I had an interest in it when I first heard it. I'm like, oh, Jack Black, Jenny Slate, Jason Schwartzman, and then never got around to watching it until now. Are you happy or sad that you had to get around to watch it? Uh, I'm glad I watched it. I mean, I didn't dislike this movie. We'll get into it. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm totally fine with having watched it. I'm wondering if that's just coming from a place of having had to watch things like the emoji movie and the bodyguard. Like, is it just that this is just marginally better? So we're okay with it. I'd be curious, our guests, how did you enjoy this movie? I think I have a much greater affection for it than it sounds like the three of you, or or maybe David and I are a little closely, more closely aligned. I would say the four of us. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I came to this because I am a huge fan of the show American Greed. I'm obsessed with stories of fraud and people who get defrauded. And this was a great episode. And so I was really excited going in, hoping that it would capture that sense of how this played out and Jan Levon himself. And so I think it did deliver in some respects. Of course, as David mentioned, we'll get into it. (laughs) 
But I, I think Jack Black is exceptional in this. So it rises and falls with him. And so thankfully, he is the star of it. But yes, we will delve more deeply into it. I'm happy you brought up that Jack Black is the driving force for this either just like plummeting in the monotony or actually being something worth watching (laughs) because as much as I like to bag on Jack Black and don't get me wrong. I love it. It's one of my favorite things in movies really don't like Jack Black. Um, He's really good in this movie. Jack Black is a good actor. (laughs) I'm willing to stand by him in this movie. He does a very good job. It is an emotional, like I, I had emotional connection to his Jan Levan by the end of this movie, which was shocking to me. Yeah, I, sorry, go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go, no, go for it. <laughs> no, I was, um, I was very surprised. It took me, it took me probably about 15 minutes of getting used to him doing the accent and judging how well he was doing the accent. And then eventually being like, it's fine you know (laughs) it's fine it's cute the broken english is adorable he's being extra charming the character is this very charming warm uh personality very energetic uh always positive um and we'll get to why that eventually becomes a drawback um and Jack Black did, I thought, a really good job of making him likable, which is very important considering what he does later on and how it affects other people. Um, so it kind of makes you look at both sides of an issue that would, if you'd heard about it in the news, you would just say, oh, my God, what what a horrible person that must be. Um, yeah. So, I- plus, Jack Black is an excellent singer. Um, which did not surprise me because I've seen High Fidelity and I've listened to Tenacity. Um, so he's actually, uh, having seen the documentary that's also on Netflix called uh, The Man Who Would Be Polka King uh, about Jan Levan, uh, Jack Black is actually a slightly better singer than the real Jan Levan. <laughs> So uh, he carried it off quite well, I thought. Now, I I love Jack Black with my entire heart. Uh, the only drawback for me in this movie with him is that he does Jack Black hands, uh, <laughs> which people who are familiar with Jack Black's style, especially when it comes to singing, uh, you'll know what I mean by the Jack Black hands. Break this uh, down for me, but let, let's back up real quick. What are the what are the Jack Black hands? It's uh, when he is singing, his hands are always by his face, and they're very like they move. Uh, very sharply, I guess. Uh, he like points a lot. Right. Oh my god. Yeah, it's, it's something school that rock flashbacks. Yeah, School of Rock. He, I mean, when he's on stage, when he's doing Tenacious D, he does it. In this movie, he does it. It's like the one thing he can't break when he gets into his characters. <laughs> uh, this actually, this movie reminded me of another Jack Black movie uh, that I also really liked, Bernie. Has anybody here seen Bernie? Yeah, that was actually going to be what I would recommend people would watch instead of this. If you want to watch an actual really odd true crime story about someone who's just kind of out there on the fringes, Bernie is ahead of this by light years. I think I love Bernie and the tragedy and the comedy and the unraveling of a person's life. Yeah, yeah, no, I I think I would I would say that Bernie is probably a, a 
object an objectively better movie than this. Um, but I still enjoyed this, and I'm not going to apologize for it. And yeah, Jack Black is great. Uh, he's, <laughs> he makes this movie enjoyable. So let's talk I think about. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Cole. The big reason I think all of that works for me, everything that Jack Black is doing, even the hands, <laughs> is because I think he's the only one here who's 100% sure of what he's trying to do because everything mm-hmm. else is just totally uneven. It's, like you said, monotonous in points, kind of exciting in points. But the important part being, I don't think at any point Jack Black is ever having a laugh at anyone's expense. I totally agree. And I couldn't say the same at the very beginning, at least for Jenny Slate. I thought that she was winking at us, laughing at us. And thankfully, I think she drops that and gets into the character. But I totally agree with you, Cole. I think uh, something Nicole said in our Slack is uh, there's a lot of one note characters in this movie. And it's, it's, I think it's kind of hard for any of the actors to really do a whole lot with what they're given. Obviously, we all think Jack Black does a great job. I do think Jenny Slate does a pretty good job. But really, there's not a whole lot to these characters as we see them in this movie. I think you're really selling short the finely nuanced performance of Bitsy Bear. Uh, <laughs> Nicole, Bear. Nicole Bear in this movie is so great. I also want to give a shout out to the young man who plays Christopher. That's Robert McCaw. He is yes. so wonderful. I love this kid. I was so happy to see him. So it is very, very rare that you see an actor, that, which I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but I believe has Down syndrome, um, in a film acting, and it's nobody... In, in some cases, when nobody mentions something in a movie, it can draw a lot of attention to it in a negative way um and everybody thinks why aren't they talking about but in this case it's this is a man with down syndrome who's part of the band who's part of the banter who's included in everything and is not treated you know as um extra special and precious to be cuddled he's just he's just one of the band Mm -hmm. and in on everything and I think that is, it's absolutely fantastic. And that he was, I thought he was excellent in his very limited role because anybody other than Jason Schwartzman gets some things to do. And Wallace, uh, is it Wallace Gorski? Wallace Darcy. No, no, that's the writer. I mean, the the actor, um, the actor who was the bus driver. Oh, Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, Garson. Yeah. Garson. And Jason Schwartzman are the two members of the band that really get any significant time on camera. And everybody else sort of just gets little bits here and there. Jason Schwartzman is playing this like a surreal comedy. uh, Yes. Which kind of at times works for his character, but also like feels like he's in a totally different movie. Like, Mike possessed. It, feels like, could, it kind of feels like Rushmore twenty years later. Right. Yeah. Like his. This is. He's definitely playing into sort of his Wes Anderson strength. I was just about to say is he? It is 
playing 100% into just the character he always plays in every Wes Anderson movie he's in, which is every Wes Anderson movie. And I don't necessarily, I don't hate him in this movie. No, it's just, he's, no. he's in a totally different movie than everybody else. No, that like incredibly bizarre scene where he comes to the Polka King and uh, he, his name's Mickey. What's his name before he changes it? Oh, Stats. I don't remember. Oh yeah. Stats. Okay, so and and then he says, "I want to be Mickey Pizzazz, and it's something I've always wanted." And he plays it so deadpan and so serious <laughs> as he lays his head on the table in utter grief and despair before yeah. Jack Black like holds his head and <laughs> blesses his life as Mickey Pizzazz. Jack, but I love that because Jack Black asks him, "What's anything you want in life? What are your dreams?" And he says, "I want to be known as Mickey Pizzazz." <laughs> oh, loved it. If there were a genie who could give you one wish, what would you want? I want a stage name. I did once know a man who made his living DJing karaoke nights, and he changed his name to Rainbow. And so, honestly, I do believe Mickey Pizzazz being a dream. I actually like it as functioning as sort of an allegory to the immigrant story. You come to Ellis Island in search of the American dream. You get your new name. And that's what Jan LeVon's story is. It's a big immigrant story that turns into the most American story ever, bilking people out of four and a half million dollars. <laughs> yes. And they, in the least subtle way possible, by writing a song about it in the middle of the movie, uh, about how great it is to now become an American. And it- it's fine. <laughs> It's fine, guys. That's all I have that's, to say. that's a real song that they performed. No, sure, sure. But like, I, I feel like the okay. So let me break down my psyche watching this movie. Uh, I, I put this movie off. I put this movie so far off that I watched it in an Uber on the way home from work about three <laughs> hours ago. Oh, goodness. I did not. I did not take public transit specifically so I could sit down in Uber and watch this. And the entire ride, my Uber driver is doing something that is very unlike most Uber drivers. He's playing decent music. I'm hearing the Clash in the background. I'm hearing the Cure. He's playing some Blondie, and I'm just hearing that in one ear and the polka in the other. And I'm like, oh my god, I just oh, I need to be listening to that right now. But I'm listening to this, and. I just can't do it, guys. The polka music kills every part of my soul. It is so draining to me in this movie. It is it is endearing for the first five times you hear it, and then I lost all interest in hearing Jack Black do polka. Well, I would say don't let the sun set on you in Hazleton, Pennsylvania, then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Don't don't you live in Chicago? (laughs) <laughs> isn't it like half polish people in chicago yeah but they're all they're all up in like norwood park they're not they're not in my neighborhood doing polka down the street oh, i don't know i've always meant to ask you do you know abe froman oh <laughs> sausage, sausage king of chicago, chicago? yeah come on. <laughs> who is this oh rabbit hole brett uh anyway now listeners i live in chicago that's from ferris bueller's day off just so we don't get <laughs> Oh my god! Okay, I got the reference. Took me a bit. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know what? I, the polka music was fine for me. I didn't hate it. It was on. <laughs> it was there. 
It gets yeah. worse, I lived though. in eastern Pennsylvania for several years, so you, you get used to it. But the, the polka gets worse. There's a point in the movie on which they are playing polka at a, at a Hawaiian retreat and just sprinkling it with like Jimmy Buffett stylings. And I wanted to die. I was just so done with it, guys. Oh, well, Brett, then what, what happened when the, the rapping polka began? Oh, my God. Don't even get me started. <laughs> okay, so what is more frustrating about the rapping polka? The fact that it exists or the fact that halfway through it, it cuts to the real man doing the rapping polka, assuming you stayed around long enough in the credits to hear this, which is even worse. It's, it's so bad. I think the worst is that we don't hear some of the lyrics where he implies that he did nothing wrong and <laughs> that he didn't hurt anybody. And I would say I'm thinking about I'm listening to Brett talk about how the polka thing just does not work. It's terrible. I'm going to get emails on this. I know this. You can email us. It, Sorry, go ahead. it makes me think of that Chris Rock joke about how Run DMC doesn't ask Dick Van Patten his opinion about their records it's not it's just not for you there is a very specific right. audience <laughs> yes for this yeah, but see the and thing. that audience also literally wanted to throw mountains of money at this guy so maybe i don't know aim your podcast that direction you guys have a you have a patreon because there's a lot of cash sitting out there to be had apparently in this demographic and the polka folks and i'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> So my job for several years was to be a music journalist and, you know, I went to a ton of concerts and, you know, did a lot of music writing and I pride myself as someone who can find redeeming qualities and understand the complexities of most genres. And polka is something that evades me entirely. I understand it's like Eastern European roots and I understand that somehow means something. Please email in if you like polka or you have family that's interested in polka because I desperately want to understand because structurally it makes no sense. Is it just dancing music? Is that what's appealing about it? Is it doesn't matter what it sounds like? You can just dance to it with it's, your family? I need to know. Kind of, yeah. It's folk music. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. music, it's not music you put on because it's like well, now we're going to listen to this. We're going to discuss the the, yes, the way that put the on kind of blue, and then follow it up with the polka king. <laughs> no, it's like let's put this on, drink and dance. Yeah, all right, it, okay. It's the exact midpoint between klezmer and square dance music. That's yeah, it's idea. it's yeah, really it's good. beer hall. It's celebration. It's family traditional yeah. music. Yeah, you know, you guys are right. You guys are right. It's I think it's less about the music and more about the atmosphere to an extent. Uh, yeah, absolutely. If you've ever gone to your Oktoberfest or in oh, Austin, sure. we have uh, um, Worst Fest, which celebrates Bratwurst. Okay. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's Oompa bands all day long and everybody's having a great time. And then you go home and you don't think another thing about it until that time comes around next year. If you've ever been to a VFW hall. That's a great <laughs> point, because here in Chicago, we have Chris Kendleton Market. And I don't know how to say it, but it's all like German and Polish christmas stuff and i went to that last week and there was indeed a polka band so yeah you guys are right but moving away to my how much polka distresses me let's talk about um did this movie try too much toward the end and did we need to see all about his life david i presume you're talking about how like we see him get stabbed and we see like the whole nine yards at the end yeah and i kind of reflecting on some of the earlier points in the movie as well it just, it's like, okay, this happened to him, so let's make sure we put it in the movie. 
uh, like the whole the Grammy thing, I guess, kind of it affected the Jenny Slate stuff, but it just happened so fast and kind of like as an afterthought. And then uh, towards the end, it was like, well, we need to include the bus crash. We need to include the time he got stabbed in prison. But none of those really had any effect on like it. Just like it was like, well, they happened in his life. Let's make sure we mention it. Especially the stabbing. Again, I guess I can see that bus crash because the whole son getting injured thing. Uh, but that, yeah, like, I, I think the movie should have ended with him getting arrested. We didn't need to see him necessarily. I mean, it needed to be better written kind of in a number of places. But I think you could have written a much better ending that is him going to jail at the end and maybe just, you know, kind of like... And, just doing a little skip at the end of like, and now he's free. Now he's out of it. And he's trying to like pay those people back, even though he never will. Cause he's a con artist. Uh, well, I mean, but how do you skip? Oh yes. And he almost got shanked to death in prison. But what did it like? What, what, why do we need to bring it up? What didn't have anything to do with the story? Yeah. I would, I would argue that it does. I would argue okay. that the most important part of this, when you get to the end is that, it is not a redemption story because for it to be a redemption story, you have to make good on what you've done wrong. And to see that he has suffered even to these great extents, almost dying in prison, wanting to commit suicide after his son is injured in the bus crash. He's gone through all this and still hasn't changed. He's seen 10 times the ghost of Christmas past, present and future. All that has been visited on him a hundredfold. And yet he still comes out just as glib and just as oblivious and just as unwilling to accept responsibility. Yeah, sure. I, wasn't, I wasn't sure if, do you feel like he's actively avoiding responsibility or, you know, I got the sense that he was just one of the most naive people ever to exist <laughs> See, okay so yes he's naive to a point i think when he started out he was naive but then he figured out what he was doing and he kept going i think when he leaves the the, the pageant to go uh bribe the judge and like fix the scores that's not a man who's who's naive and doesn't know what he's doing that's someone who knows exactly what they're doing i think like he starts out being like i didn't realize that me taking investments was illegal and then it turned into people want to still give me money. I just have to be really, I have to figure out how to hide it. I think he got clever. So how much does he really grow toward the end of the movie then? Because we do have the song he at the doesn't. end of the movie. I mean, but he does a little bit, right? Like, I mean, he, he acknowledges that albeit in a roundabout way of God needs to smite me for my sins and hurt my son. Um, he acknowledges he's done wrong when he goes to prison and then kind of immediately forgets about that. I don't know. I feel like he, 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 knows what he's, he knows what he's doing is wrong the entire time. We see him stressed out and crying about it. He knows like, Oh crap, I'm in trouble. This is bad. What am I doing? But he doesn't stop. I, I do know. love that I think, scene. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Nicole. Oh no, I was just going to say, I was just wondering I mean, it's not 100% clear in the movie, but I think I wonder if what they're trying to convey is that he always has the intention of paying everybody back. And he's got this eternal optimism that, you know, major stardom is just around the corner and he will suddenly legitimately earn all this money and be able to pay all these people back. Now, see, that I agree with, but he also knows that he has to hide what he's doing along the way. 
Yes. He sets yeah. up, you know, P.O. boxes and shell companies and hides all the books and cooks them and stuff. Like, yes, I believe he does think like, ah, the next big thing is right there. But then, like, but then when the, when things keep growing, he's like, well, I got to keep expanding. He never stops. I was going to say that one thing I like, or two things, actually. I really do enjoy that scene in the hospital when the facade does seem to drop, when he is feeling convicted, and when he feels like this is a message. Two reasons that scene is great. One, it's never not funny when someone pauses a beat (laughs) and then takes off running. That's always hilarious. (laughs) And two, yeah, I really do think that that is, we see just a glimmer of who he could be if he was ever fully honest, but I don't know that that's ever going to happen. Uh, I will agree with you on both points because we watched the Grand Budapest Hotel on this and uh, has my favorite instance of that pausing for a beat and then running. Uh, <laughs> everything in that movie is wonderful. But yeah, I, 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 that scene when he's like, oh, finally I'm getting punished for my crimes. And it does seem like, oh, this is it. I'm, good. I'm on the straight and narrow from now on. But then as you brought up, like at the end, he's like, oh yeah, guys, I'll pay you back. Here's a polka song. Did you guys know that in September of 2018, he offered another tour package to Poland? Beautiful. Oh, I love it. Now, Still out there, still out of it. There's two things about that. I'm glad you brought that up. The first is that there's a YouTube link of Jack Black and the man himself singing the polka rap, and I want nothing more than to click on it, but I realize... It was from Sundance. (laughs) I want to see that so bad. I'll put it at the very end of the episode. The second thing that I want to mention is I'm, I'm having trouble finding a whole lot about the Pope thing because this movie kind of just glosses it over. Like it shows you the Pope okay. it shows you. And I know Nicole can lend light on this in a moment, but reading online, I came to the understanding that this was not a singular occasion, but in fact, something where he introduced thousands of people to the Pope. <laughs> what happened? Yes. Th- there were many audiences with the Pope. Yes. Why? Why? <laughs> because he was a Polish icon. He was the first Polish pope. And the pope, as they say in the commitments, what even though they say the Irish are the blacks of Europe, you know, a lot of times the, the Polish are the, the blacks of Europe, so to speak. It's they're they're not seen as a very, you know, technologically ahead cutting edge sort of country they're they're seen as sort of backwater and looked down upon and and it was not sophisticated and and it was assumed that you know polish pope that's not going to happen they've been italian for centuries and that's just the way it is and then you know the carol volitia comes comes up and and becomes pope and he is this instantly the biggest celebrity ever from poland and um he was a very big deal you know so it was that it and um it's just very understandable why it if you you know know about this part of the the history that this was such a huge thing for him you know in the the documentary uh, the man who would be king of polka, which is only like an hour and seven minutes, and it's, it's fairly entertaining and is worth a watch on Netflix. Um, they talk about this, and it's it's funny the way it's presented. 
they say, you know, it became clear that it's not, it wasn't just a bribe, that he had some sort of family connection to the Pope. And then the documentary cuts from one person to another person to a third person. And each one of them has a different story of who in his family knows the Pope, how they know him, and why he was able to get an audience with the Pope in the first place. So it's, you know, there there is some family connection, possibly his father, possibly his uncle, possibly they grew up together with the Pope in the same village, or they went to school with him, or they met him in some other capacity. And so he had this this at least tenuous personal connection to the Pope, as well as probably bribing the hell out of some cardinals in the Vatican. <laughs> All right, I can buy that. That's interesting. I, I'm glad. I'm glad one of us saw the documentary. I think that adds wonderful context to this. So, what keeps Jan so happy amid all his financial troubles and his mother-in-law's hostility? Oh yeah, we haven't talked about Barb. Barb's been uh, flame this whole movie. She's very angry. Ah, uh, the great and Jackie. Much, and pretty much right. <laughs> the entire movie. Uh, he is so upbeat. The entire movie as he smiles and takes people's money and sings his polka dances and this woman shits on him at his family table. Uh, how? I, that's a good question. This is one from Nicole. I think, you know, I think that it's just kind of he's fueled of like the by the American dream in a way, which I know is kind of strange, but I've met. I feel like I've met immigrants, people who come over here and they're just like, America is so great. Anything is possible. Like, yeah, we can you do whatever you want. And they just have sort of this eternal optimism. Uh, I think that's kind of what's happening here where it's like, you know, he scrubbed grease traps. And even like at the beginning of the movie, he's still like delivering pizzas uh, while owning a knickknack shop and also uh, touring with a band. But he's like, he's, you know, it's like, it's, it's all worth it because it's all part of like the dream. Like, this is what I want to do with my life. And I just, it's just some people who are just so driven by this idea of like, I'm just going to work hard. And that's, that's where my joy and satisfaction comes from. Is it delusion? Is it, is Barb yeah. right that all this is fueled by, by dreams and nothing's going to come of it? No one so, gets, no one gets rich making polka music or, or <laughs> almost dare. any music for that matter. Right. I mean, Very few people make lots of money. If you're in a musicians. touring band, you know this. I mean, we go out, the band I'm in, our modest goal is just to make enough to do the next thing. And that's pretty much it. And that's what I would guess 80% of the working musicians out there do. So no one is going to get rich doing this stuff. But I think David's right about this hustle that is inherently part of the American dream. When I look at this movie or the other the documentary, I watched both. I am wondering, it was almost $5 million. Where did this money go? You certainly don't see them living a really lavish lifestyle. It seems like he just poured it all back into his enterprises, sometimes paying the band, opening businesses, starting these excursions to Europe. He was constantly expending these massive amounts of energy trying to keep all these balls in the air. And he yeah. never stopped working long enough to enjoy the fruits of this con, it seems like. 
it was always always about reinvesting, especially in the shop and buying all this amber and all of this crystal things that are high dollar items that he couldn't turn around and sell. So constantly having this huge amount of inventory. But I don't think ultimately he or the film or his con could succeed if he was essentially a dour, hateful iconoclast. He's just a naturally upbeat guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, his charm is is the thing, right? I mean, the uh, what when um, the the government guy—I can't remember his his name now. When he like when he goes, Ron Edwards. Ron Edwards. Yeah, uh, Black Man Edwards. Uh, when he goes to to meet him, like at the end of the conversation, probably my favorite line in the movie. So a lot of people in Poland take bribes. You take bribes. Uh, <laughs> And Ron Edwards is just like, no, I don't take prize. But like, he's so like disarming in the way that he approaches it. Like, yeah, JB Smooth isn't like he plays it so well. It's like he's not mad at him. He's just like, oh, you lovable little scamp. Like, that's just a joke. <laughs> uh, when probably if he had said like, yeah, I'll take a bribe, you know, Jan would have been like, great, here's some money. Uh, he just he he is charming. You know, he there is something about like we see him ripping people off, but it's like I get it. You know, he's he's making them feel good while he's doing it. Yeah, I certainly had um, a Better Call Saul flashback several times while watching this because there's something about the character of Saul Goodman, if you ever watch that show, that is so disarmingly delightful as he takes money from the elderly. And that this movie has that in spades. <laughs> but I, I would also like to mention that his ventures are not just expensive tchotchkes and keeping his band on the road. He's got a vodka line and he has these trips that he's doing and he's like he's like one step a, away from selling Trump steaks. Like yeah. it's very close. He has a radio uh, show, he has right. a uh he got a lot of stuff they mentioned that he does constantly. Right, right. So he's, I just I find him a fascinating person in real life, so I think I need to see this documentary now. Yeah. I mean, you know, paying paying your uh, musicians a living wage is especially with a band that size is going to eat up a lot of money. Yeah, I do kidding. think that the fact that he never ever stopped working was the very thing that allowed him to justify this theft to himself. Yeah. It was part of his pathology. Yeah, and a, not a Ponzi tell yourself it isn't, and you keep working toward it not being theft. Is what his justification is. And a Ponzi scheme can last for decades. I mean, it, it could have kept going. You can justify it to yourself the essential nature of it. As long as I find new people, I'm paying back the other ones. Isn't that the way it works? Well, yeah, they, so they, I get it. Yeah, and there's some people that it's like, oh, we pulled our money out and he gave us our money back with all this interest. So it's like, as long as too many people weren't doing that, you know, he was fine. It was when people, when everybody was trying to get their money that he was scrambling and, and things were falling apart. And then there's that one couple. I don't know their names. It starts with K. You know, uh, yeah, so I, I will say what's frustrating is like there are hints of a much better movie in this movie, like the whole having the one couple that kind of you focus on for the scam, I think is actually pretty smart. It makes it a little more personal rather than just like a whole bunch of different people. But I will say watching Barb smack them at the end. <laughs> was oddly satisfying i don't know it was just like how often do you see old people get smacked in movies and it was weird yeah although i did get very tired of the character of barb um oh yeah she you was know, used too much. jackie weaver is 
very good and she can be more subtle than this but again you know the way it's it's written there's a lot of one note characters you know Jan Levan is always upbeat and positive and uh that actually does you know from the documentary that do, that does appear to be the personality of Jan Levan um you know and his wife is always kind of supportive and yet wondering what about me and you know and the mother-in-law is this snake that is spitting acid 24 hours a day and it gets it, tiresome. Yeah. It's tiresome. You don't we, want to be we, around that character anymore. We barely, I mean, if this movie had really gotten to Marla's head, it, it kind of does, but it has her, it, it's doing that whole saying instead of showing thing, which is a problem with storytelling. Uh, I think it's sort of the same thing with uh, with Jan himself. Like, it tells you a lot how he's feeling, but doesn't always necessarily show. I don't know. If we got a lot more into these characters' heads, I think this movie could have been a lot better. The one thing that I think they're very smart in using Barb's character for, she is the one that delivers that disgusting message that it's the investor's fault. When they try to slightly shift the blame to the people who were putting money in for being greedy. Is that really the case? I mean, they were just asking for what they were promised. Yes, there was probably a little bit of overreach there, but if you've got a completely vile and unappealing character like this, who better to use as the tool to make that message? Yeah, but I kind of agree with her to an extent at the end of the movie. I do because there are so many folks in this movie, or I say so many, but it's implied that really just want to dump a lot of their money into his investment because he has such a high interest rate, such a high payback compared to what they can get with a bank. And oh, yeah. there's a level of greed that certainly comes from these characters. Like, I need to introduce these old people to CDs. There are other ways to store your money <laughs> No, dude. How many people? How many people our age and and younger fall for like work from home, make all this money? Yeah. Uh, sell essential oils, and you'll be making forty thousand dollars a month. But I think the problem with that is that that is banking on the naivete of someone who doesn't have it and wants it. Whereas Th- these are that's old what- people who have fifty thousand dollars to randomly invest. They're pulling it out of their retirement, and now. They're just going to throw it away because they're too stupid to realize that this guy is a crook. And it's, I would argue they're very similar, those two people. Eh, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to disagree with you here on this. Um, the elderly are typically the ones that are most, uh, most likely to fall into this sort of scam because they're the people that are most left behind. This isn't this huge retirement savings that they're sitting on. This is money that they've earned that took a Mm -hmm. very long time to get there. And so they're ignored by most sections of the population. They're going to be ignored by the banks. They're not catered to. They're not spoken to. And so this is someone that is offering them a quote unquote safe investment, much more than they can get anywhere else. This is one of their own people who they see on a regular basis. And I can understand to an extent why they go here and why it doesn't necessarily feel like greed, but more like, unfortunately, a little sense of entitlement, but also 
an area of hope towards the relative end of their lives. And they're still human beings, which is why I love the male half of that couple making the uh, slicing the neck (laughs) motion, because (laughs) I want to see them be human beings. They're not caricatures. Right. And that 50,000, that's not like, here's 50,000 from the $3 million we have. And a lot of the cases in real life, it was their entire life savings. And this ruined them. So you watch the documentary and there are people that literally want him dead that say that the guy in the cell should have finished the job because they've been left destitute or extreme struggling extremely. And so it's a little dodgy to get into this territory where you say, just because they want something that they were promised that they deserve to have their lives ruined. Because they don't have the opportunity now to make this money up. I mean, we're looking at people who can now not afford to be taken care of in their age. And I I was also attracted to this because I think back to when I was young, and you guys might be slightly too young for this. I don't know if you've ever remember Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, the PTL club. Yes. And and I had neighbors... And I had neighbors who gave so much money to PTL and to the Heritage USA theme park. And we're talking a fraud of almost $200 million. And that's from people in the suburbs, in small towns and farms, giving this money for this promise of this thing. Are these televangelists just to? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And the. You know, Tammy Faye was this woman who applied her makeup with a trowel, and that should have told you a lot about her, the the face she's trying to present to the world and the level of self-delusion that she had. Have you seen you know? the eyes of Tammy Faye? No, I have not. You, I you have need to. Good, though. You will, you will, uh, at least I did, find a great well of love for Tammy Faye. And it was actually oh all goodness. Jim Baker. Jim Baker's the scumbag in this story. Well, Tammy yes, Faye was true. a hero. But <laughs> I mean, I, I'm making that up a little bit. But you see people that you want to believe in, that you love to some degree. And they're saying, yes, we're going to partner with you on this. We're making this thing for you. This is a dream that you're investing in. And people definitely went for it. Yeah, that's that's a very fair point. I, I agree with you on a lot of that. And I think, you know, in retrospect, obviously, if you're putting $50,000 down and this is something that you was just now opened up to you in your retirement fund, that's for all intents and purposes, not a lot. Uh, in a retirement, so I mean, I can, that's like an entire year, right? Exactly. So I that I understand. I think what I struggle with in this movie is the 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 caricature in a way, and I and I understand this happens to a ton of people, so it's not completely a caricature, but the caricature of I'm old, I'm not going to ask you how this works because I just don't buy that all the time. I have a 95 year old grandpa that would ask these questions. Yeah, see, that's what I, I don't know. I mean, yes, it's old people in this movie, but I know plenty of people who are much younger who are not going to ask how it works. Cause like, it yeah, sounds so no, good. Right. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. And so many of these people up through Bernie Madoff operate with whiteout and Xerox machines. And this, this thing works over and over and over again because people don't ask questions. Yeah, you're right. You guys make very good points. That's absolutely fair. 
Yeah, I, I think that... Well, you're welcome. We've changed Brett's <laughs> mind on polka music and suckers. I feel for these people. I do think that... I don't know. I, I wish I'd see more people earlier in the film questioning what's going on. You have very, very brief questioning from Mickey Pizzazz somewhere in the middle and then at the very end, and then apparently it's gone five years later. And then you have the, the bludgeoning of Barb and that's kind of it. No one else at any point questions that there's something going awry, even though it's abundantly obvious. I so. do see what you mean. I, I I think what you're at least the thing that I'm taking from what you're saying is the people on the other end have a responsibility to do their due diligence. Absolutely. Everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid in this movie. And, and I understand that's part of what makes a fantastic cult of personality though, is that he got all these people to drink that Kool-Aid. So I, yeah, I, I think the, I think the filmmakers maybe ultimately aimed for the middle a little too much. I mean, we weren't going to be presented with gritty docudrama here. And so it would have been nice if there was more nuance as we went on. But I don't know how much there was because, for example, Rhonda, the name of his actual wife, ended up marrying Steve, the trumpet player, after she and Jan were divorced. He was the one who was driving the bus when it was in the accident. So, you know, how much, how much deep interior life is going on? Not always a lot. Right. I mean, particularly if you're from a small town, there's a, a certain subset of people who are born and raised in a small town who get very, very comfortable in that little bubble and you know, knowing all your neighbors and trusting your neighbors and believing that life is always going to go on the way that it always has. Um, so I'm not sure where I was going with that. But. Well, let, me ask, <laughs> let me ask you guys this question. You, you know, there's that maxim in comedy that you should always punch up, never down. Yes. What targets are you taking on? Obviously, there are segments of this that they're definitely mocking the tackiness of a certain type of modest dream, the film as a whole, do you think it punches up? Do you think its target is appropriate? Hmm. Hmm. That's a, an interesting question. I think the target ends up being him. So yeah, I do. Uh, I mean, you have a fondness for how eccentric his character can be and that there are many times when he seems that his heart is in the right place. But then there are a lot of times when you're thinking, this is a pretty dirty dude. And at the end of the movie, you have an overwhelming feeling of, and I don't feel like he learned a lot. So I feel <laughs> like it punches up at him. And I don't even know if he knows that because he seemed pretty thrilled on the red carpet. I think it's, it's remarkably, I think actually even handed is too strong a word. I think it, it rather lands in his, favor i'm not sure it's taking some punches at him but it overall i think portrays him so positively and it just barely glances on the fact that he's you know yes he is working all the time but when he travels he always travels first class he stays in the biggest suites he's 
you know, he is, mm, he's not doing, uh, he's doing some work, but he's not doing the, the correct work that he needs to be doing to pay off his investors and turn his businesses all legitimate. And that's what he, he needs to be doing. And it, it steers away from where he's, and the movie doesn't really look closely at where he's overspending um, in places that aren't needed. It focuses more on places like uh, one of his band members has a child who needs a special therapist, and but that therapist is very expensive. And he's like, no, send me the bill. You know, send me the bill. And he loves being this generous person, but he doesn't understand what it takes to support that properly in a financial way. I think we have a very in- interesting insight to the opposite side of that, though, in the sequence of this movie that is way too long for its own good. The concert slash beauty pageant slash fallout of the beauty pageant that all kind of happens in this awful 20 minute glump in the middle of the movie. <laughs> I, I really am not a fan of these scenes where oh, you see I understand why it's there. It was the turning point. It was the beginning of the end for him was sure. the Miss Pennsylvania pageant. Right. But I think that those scenes show you all those overspending habits and the, a lot of the shady nature of what he does. And the fact that he has to go on the local morning talk show and hawk the hours of his business in order to try to, divert attention attention away from the fact that he paid off judges like you see some of the seedy parts of them but you're right a lot of the stuff is mentioned in passing it's a question that we dealt with a lot we just did an episode about in cold blood and we're we're both big true crime fans and i think about it all the time what sort of responsibility do the filmmakers have to the victims how long has to pass how much time has to pass before this is simply history and we can look at it and it's quirky and odd and full of funny details instead of it being relatively fresh right now and it seems like maybe we're over romanticizing this guy just a little bit yeah (laughs) i would think so i i would think so especially when you have jack black hugging this dude on stage at sundance that strikes me as odd yeah, I, he doesn't, I don't know. Uh, Jan doesn't strike me as a guy who is incredibly self-aware at all times. Mm-hmm. It gives me a Tommy Wiseau vibe. I think he doesn't realize the room's laughing at him. You're saying someone with the aesthetic that lies between Liberace and Evil Knievel's not self-aware? <laughs> <laughs> Having met the man <laughs> um, and seen him perform... I don't think you're so. You're talking about Wazo. No, <laughs> I'm talking about Wazo. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, oh. No, he was talking about Young. Oh, I think I think Wazo kind of matches along with that too. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I don't think he like. Here's my question: the shot at the end of the movie when we're seeing Jack Black do the rap, and then it turns into actually being Jan Levan. We don't see enough of the end of the rap to know if people clapped. And I just want to know, <laughs> I want to know if there was a response to that. And was it a pity clap? Was it, a, was it an excited clap? I just want to know. <laughs> the room seemed very quiet. Yeah, you yeah. hear a pin drop in there. <laughs> that was... 
that was some John Refusion that was not going over well. Uh, and I also love how this John Refusion apparently came from him just becoming more culturally diverse via prison. Like, yeah, yeah. So he did learn something. Yeah, sure. I I I hope that at some point in prison, Jan Levan was like sat down and they played some Public Enemy for him, and that's. <laughs> That's where this came from. <laughs> um, so as we begin the wrap down, a couple more discussion topic. Really, just one more actually on our discussion docket. It's fairly well shot. This is something from David, and I think it is. It is. It is competently made. Yeah, there's a couple of scenes like when they're first pushing the check across, and it's sort of this overhead shot. In the shot when he's he's uh, christening him as Mickey Pizzazz has some just really well shot parts. I was, I was actually, I was impressed. Like I said, there's like, there's, there's trappings of a better movie within this movie and it fails to live up to that potential. And that's sad. And then there's a montage of his wife spending spree, which also well shot. Really? No, <laughs> hot. <laughs> the checks just bouncing across the screen. Like, uh-huh. like a, while he's singing and doing screensaver, doing Jack black hands. Yep. Oh yeah. He was doing Jack black hands the whole time. I have not seen. Time. I haven't seen Infinitely Polar Bear. Maya Forbes's other film. Has anyone seen that? No. No, I. I actually I bought it because um, you know I'm I'm a big fan of of the Incredible Hulk. You know, uh, Mark um, <laughs> Ruffalo, and so that's been sitting on my shelf because it's it's one of those movies that that could go either way. It's like this little indie. It's about this little family that's you can just like feel the quirkiness oozing out of the case. And I just, it could be, it could be wonderful and delightful and it could be suffocatingly twee. So I haven't opened it yet. (laughs) It could be pretty heavy as well. I haven't read a lot of reviews, but you are dealing with a custody battle and mental illness and all sorts of things. So it might be kind of a difficult watch for some people. I, I eventually plan on getting around to it. I may be a little less excited about it after this, but I do hope to get to it one of these days. Well, I'm interested in they as a couple. It's the director, Maya, and then Wallace Wolodarski, who's also Vince, that videographer. So they have such an amazing pedigree as writers, and they're married in real life, and they collaborate on so many of these things together. And we're so excited about the writing process for this film. I do think that they've got more room to grow. I was going to say, is it an amazing background in writing the two of them? I would say I might need to dispute that a little bit now that I see the dog's purpose is on their writing background. (laughs) I, I grant you that I'm going by the Larry Sanders episodes that they, that Maya did. And then the Simpsons episodes that Wally Wolodarski wrote. Uh, it seems like they have a very firm background in movies made for children that were bad. Like <laughs> Trolls, The Dog's Purpose. That's fair. Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Hold up. People Daniels. love trolls. All right? No, Just get out of here with that. Get out. No. The McElroy brothers will be in <laughs> Trolls 2. Uh, trolls World Tour is the official title of it. That's horrific. Uh, <laughs> the Rocker. I forgot that movie existed. Now that's that's one I looked that up because I was wondering, well, what is this? And it's a movie with Rain Wilson. 
Oh yes, have you from two thousand and eight. That's it, that's musically related. You know, it's this failed drummer who gets a second chance at becoming famous by joining a high school band, and it seems like that would be something with a maybe a similar vibe to this movie. Hundred percent. Having seen that movie, it is. 100% aligning with this also just like weirdly like shoehorns white snake in there uh, <laughs> um, like the actual band or just yes, the music the actual band um, or oh my goodness. Music. I can't remember which was in it it was a long time ago but they have a very similar vibe 100% Wally Wolodarski wrote uh, or Wallace Wolodarski wrote Last Exit to Springfield which has the dental plan Lisa needs braces this man is a genius I support everything he does <laughs> <laughs> Well, in that case, maybe we'll get another one on another Netflix roulette because these are all movies that are probably on Netflix. Probably. So <laughs> uh, let's go around the table and see where we can hear and find everybody else online. Uh, Cole and Erica, our wonderful guests, thank you again for joining us. Why don't you drop all your plugs right now, let people know where to find you, all your good stuff. So you can find the Magic Lantern podcast wherever you get your podcasts, all sorts of different podcatchers. We're on Facebook, Twitter, at Lantern underscore cast. You can find our website at magiclanternpodcast.com. Thank you. Wonderful. Very good. Well, it's a pleasure to have you guys. David Luzander, where can people find you online? Uh, I'm around the internet under the username Davla. That's D-A-V-L-U-Z. And uh, Brookbutt Mountain. So yeah, turn your attention there. Nicole, where can people find you online? Uh, well, uh, there's two things I want to plug. One, I want to plug our Facebook page, facebook.com slash moviegoroundpodcast. You can interact with us there. We always put up new episodes and we put up the polls for the You Did This To Us episodes where you get to help pick what we watch. Uh, but I actually also wanted to take my time to also plug the Magic Lantern podcast because I am a subscriber. I listen all the time and I would never, ever, 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 ever have considered watching some of the movies that you guys cover on the Magic Lantern podcast, but now they're on my list, like Jean Dielman, and mm. um, I actually did see Grey Gardens, and I thought it was wonderful, and I just think it's awesome that you also cover such a huge variety of things, like Master of the Flying Guillotine, double thumbs up <laughs> for that one. Uh, <laughs> They Live, and uh, more recently, the original The Wicker Man. That's one of my favorite recent episodes that you guys have put out. That's I would recommend that very highly to anybody if you're looking for an, an in. What, what episode of The Magic Lantern should I listen to first? I would definitely suggest The Wicker Man. Are we talking Cage Wicker Man? No, no. we're talking Edward Woodward Wicker Man. Okay. <laughs> Two very different movies. Uh, yes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. You can also find my writings and musings over on the same website that you can find this show, TiltingWindmillStudios.com. Well, that'll do it for myself, David, Nicole, uh, and our wonderful guests, Erica and Cole. We'll see you next week with The Dark Knight. <laughs>